Hello and welcome to the Lazy Book Club podcast, the book club for those who don't want to read or leave the house. My name is Matt Gonzalez. All right there, that's David Cox. <laughs> Crikey. And I'm Josh Matheson. Well, last week we found out who has done this. Who it has done this? It was a double bluff. Alfred, who we thought, oh, it can't be him. There's way too much evidence. It turns out it was him. It was a false mm. trap laid, and but it, underneath the false trap was deception, and it was him. Ah, But we still don't know the full extent as to why. No, but well, also, we got no idea what the whole kind of pantomime with the pharmacy was. Like, did he go in and actually buy strychnine, or did somebody actually dress yeah. up as him and go and mm. buy strychnine, or, you know... If they didn't need the strychnine to actually kill Emily, I don't understand why, if he yeah. was the murderer, he went in and bought it. It doesn't kind of make any the sense. The chemist and the wig and the and the sending John off to like sit in the park and but wait this for could, Maybe this was all part of the thing of trying to pin, pin it on John to kind of send him away, make it like, well, he can't account for his whereabouts apart from this letter which is as I say could have written himself and then they're trying to obviously make out like he dressed up as Albert and went to the pharmacy but actually bought the strychnine himself and then poisoned his mum so maybe there were it's all part of the pinning on John yeah it could be plan I don't know but I'm really intrigued to see what Poirot comes up with in terms of the game plan I'll tell you what, though, I, I, I was mulling over this in the last week and being like, oh, OK, yeah, really interesting, double blast, blah, blah, blah. I've ultimately decided that you could be the cleverest person in the world reading this book. You could be you could have a Poirot mind, but I don't think she actually gives you enough information f- to work it out. It would be no. a guess, wouldn't it? No, we you're not supposed to be able to, are you? Yeah, no. We said this last week. The only way that you can make it such a surprise is by withholding evidence from the reader. Yeah. Which is the letter. Which is the letter between. Yeah. Because if you had that at the start, you'd be like, well, there you go. World's worst crime novel is like the indicting evidence is the first thing they find. Yeah. <laughs> but also, it's the case that like it points a very damning finger towards the sub, the person who did it, didn't it? That letter. Actually, the only thing that showed that Poirot showed any kind of intelligence was the fact that he was getting people off during the investigation. Every time the police made a wrong turn towards somebody, he was like, no, it's it's not them. You know, yeah. let's stay on course. So he didn't need his intellect for that and to find this letter. But actually, once you found the clues, it's very open and shut. <laughs> it's very obvious. I'm still really intrigued because I want to know Evelyn and Alfred were actually in cahoots or intimate because I really want to know. It's kind of an, a bit of an ugly relationship to picture, to be honest, by the voices we've given them. Oh. But... <laughs> yeah. Arr. Arr. <laughs> Arr. <laughs> Arr. 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 Through the wall. <laughs> Emitted Pirates of the Caribbean auditions. Yeah. <laughs> some, oh, I don't know what yeah, Evelyn no. is. I don't know what she is. Because aren't they related in some way as well? I'm not sure. I um, thought, yeah, I thought it said in the first bit where, like, he turned up and he was like, oh, I'm Evelyn's second cousin or whatever, and she wasn't very happy about it or something. Well, I swear I didn't make that up. I swear that's not in the quiz because I haven't got a clue. I I reckon this would be my worst quiz. Do you know what? Oh, I'm shocking at this. Even if they just said, name the characters. I'll be like, Dr. Bernstein. Bernstein. <laughs> Christmas Carol, like Animal Farm. Animal Farm had a lot of detail, but this is like about the details. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, no, it's true. I think I'm going to suck as well. It's going to be like, someone's just going to win by one point, I think. I think that's how this is going to go. I now. guess whose guess is the best. Yeah, yeah, probably. Yeah. Well, let's find out the extent to which Evelyn and Albert are into uh, Alfred, sorry, not Albert. See, I've already got the names wrong. Who? <laughs> Albert Al- Edward. Oh, Albert was it, wasn't he? Uh, no, on that note, we're going to jump in. <laughs> Here we go. Chapter 13. Poirot explains. Poirot, you old villain, I said. I've half a mind to strangle you. What do you mean by deceiving me as you've done? We were sitting in the library. Several hectic days lay behind us. In the room below, John and Mary were together once more, while Alfred Inglethorpe and Miss Howard were in custody. 
Now, at last, I had Poirot to myself, and could relieve my still burning curiosity. Poirot did not answer me for a moment, but at last he said, I did not deceive you, mon ami. At most, I permitted you to deceive yourself. Hmm? Yes, but why? Well, it is difficult to explain. Hmm? You see, my friend, you have a nature so honest and a countenance so transparent that, enfin, to conceal your feelings is impossible. Hmm? If I had told you my ideas, the very first time you saw Mr. Alfred Inglethorpe, that astute gentleman would have, in your so expressive idiom, smelt a rat. Huh? And then, bonjour to our chances of catching him. Bonjour. Hang on a minute. Why is he saying hello to our chances? Of well, maybe good, good day. He's obviously good day. So maybe they oh, have... Good day. Hi. Can you say bonjour to say goodbye? Uh, they say salut for both. Yeah. So it's possible that back in the day they used to say bonjour for good day. I mean, Agatha Christie is in French. Because so. we could say, even though it'd be a bit old fashioned, we'd say good day and like good day to you, you know? So I always find it very strange on the, if, you, if, if you've ever watched the, uh, the news at one o'clock, the BBC News in the afternoon, being freelancers, occasionally we have that kind of time on our hands. <laughs> and at the end of the, uh, on BBC News, at the end of the one o'clock news, they say, and that's all for BBC News. Good afternoon. But I only ever know good afternoon as a hello. And it always jars yeah. me that good afternoon could be a goodbye. It's weird. Mm. I think that I have more diplomacy than you give me credit for. My friend, besought Poirot, I implore you, do not enrage yourself. Huh? Your help has been of the most invaluable. It is but the extremely beautiful nature that you have which made me pause. Well, I grumbled, a little mollified. I still think you might have given me a hint. <laughs> I love that Poirot just completely played him there. You know, when you just like going like, oh, I can't. Oh, it's because you're too pretty. You're, you're too pretty best. to go. And you're like, oh, okay. <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> you give someone a compliment and yeah. they drop the subject. <laughs> and I'm like, you've just been played, Hastings. You're so easy <laughs> to play. Oh, <laughs> Oh, no, it's just you're such a nice person that it would have been. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, well, it's true. That's I why that, that's why I took all your money. You're just so lovely. Oh, thanks. <laughs> your money's the best money. That's why I, <laughs> <laughs> I robbed your bank. Anybody else's. You just yeah. give, you give it so well. But I did, my friend, several hints. Huh? You would not take them. Think now. Did I ever say to you that I believed John Cavendish guilty? Hmm? Did I not, on the contrary, tell you that he would almost certainly be acquitted? But yes, but, and did I not, immediately afterwards, speak of the difficulty of bringing the murderer to justice? Hmm? Was it not plain to you that I was speaking of two entirely different persons? Hmm? No, I said, it was not plain to me. Then again, continued Poirot. At the beginning, did I not repeat to you several times that I didn't want Mr. Inglethorpe arrested now? That should have conveyed something to you. Hmm? Do you mean to say you suspected him as long ago as that? Yes. To begin with, whoever else might benefit by Mrs. Inglethorpe's death, her husband would benefit the most. Hmm? There was no getting away from that. When I went up to Styles with you that first day, I had no idea as to how the crime had been committed. But from what I knew of Mr. Inglethorpe, I fancied that it would be very hard to find anything to connect him with it. Hmm? When I arrived at the chateau, I realized at once that it was Mrs. Inglethorpe who had burnt the will. And there, by the way, you cannot complain, my friend, for I tried my best to force on you the significance of that bedroom fire in midsummer. Hmm? Yes, yes, I said impatiently. Go on. Well, my friend, as I say, my views as to Mr. Inglethorpe's guilt were very much shaken. Hmm? There was, in fact, so much evidence against him that I was inclined to believe that he had not done it. When did you change your mind? When I found that the more efforts I made to clear him, the more efforts he made to get himself arrested. Huh? 
Then, when I discovered that Inglethorpe had nothing to do with Mrs. Rakes, and that in fact was John Cavendish who was interested in that quarter, I was quite sure. But why? Simply this. If it had been Inglethorpe who was carrying on an intrigue with Mrs. Rakes, his silence was perfectly comprehensible. But when I discovered that it was known all over the village that it was John who was attracted to the farmer's pretty wife, his silence bore quite a different interpretation. It was nonsense to pretend that he was afraid of the scandal, as no possible scandal could attach to him. Hmm? This attitude of his gave me furiously to think and I was slowly forced to the conclusion that Alfred Inglethorpe wanted to be arrested. Huh? Eh bien, from that moment, I was equally determined that he should not be arrested. So it was the acquitted thing. As we yeah. said last time, he was hoping to get nailed for it early, get acquitted, and then not be able to get charged of it again. Yeah. It's actually quite a clever theory and no shit but he's obviously referring to like at the inquest Alfred constantly shot himself in the foot and that's almost what Poirot yeah. was sitting there going like this is going badly like what is he doing da, da, da. why is he so casual about it yeah. and that's obviously when he realised that Alfred is intentionally putting himself in the firing line everyone would have understood the seriousness of that situation being blamed or being accused of murder like it's a big deal particularly in this time when they hang you so to continually sidestep into a trap <laughs> rather than walk, just walk around it, it kind of makes it even worse. It's a risky game, though. It and is. It, and it doesn't put much faith in our legal system if he's like, if I just get in there. Uh, like, he's, he's not really accounting for the fact that once it goes to court, lawyers are going to look into it. He obviously felt like he had laid enough doubt to pin it on someone else. Because as you say, it has to be beyond a shadow of a doubt. All we have to do is lay enough doubt that they can't nail you for it and you get acquitted. Wait a minute. I don't see why he wished to be arrested. Because, mon ami, it is the law of your country that a man once acquitted can never be tried again for the same offence. Uh-huh. But it was clever. His idea. Assuredly, he is a man of method. See here, he knew that in his position he was bound to be suspected, so he conceived the exceedingly clever idea of preparing a lot of manufactured evidence against himself. He wished to be arrested. He would then produce his irreproachable alibi and, hey, presto, he was safe for life. Huh? But I still don't see how he managed to prove his alibi, and yet go to the chemist's shop. Poirot stared at me in surprise. Is it possible? My poor friend, you have not yet realised that it was Miss Howard who went to the chemist's shop. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez, oh my goodness, that's amazing. So she's just like drag kinging it up and going, hello, <laughs> could I have some strychnine, please? <laughs> How dumb was this chemist, man? I know that like, oh yeah, it was definitely him. Come on. I know like, we'd never seen him close up. It's nearly impossible to basically become somebody else through like prosthetics and makeup and yeah. then, then there's the voice and people go there's something funny about this mm. like to be like oh yeah just sent a woman in there with a beard and it was and the premise was like okay you can understand why agatha painted her in such a masculine light in the first chapter when we first met her when yeah. she, was like, she had a low voice and she was quite statuesque about they're obviously trying to paint this thing of like she could pass she could pass as a guy yeah She's trying to sow the seeds where at least you go, oh, okay, if she wore a beard and men's clothes and strapped everything down, then maybe, yeah, she might be passable. And that is a good decision on your part, gents. And actually, we did have, for what it's worth, a little bit of criticism for how masculine we made that character. Oh, but okay. Clearly, clearly it's come to light. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was necessary it was for the evidence. Necessary in the plot. <laughs> Miss Howard. But certainly... Who else? Huh? It was most easy for her. She is of a good height. Her voice is deep and manly, 
Moreover, remember. <laughs> Proof. See, we didn't just make Just it wide. Just pull it out of the ether. Best. It's in the text. <laughs> it's in the text. Her voice is deep and manly. Moreover, remember, she and Inglethorpe are cousins. See, told you. You were right. Did you look I at thought her? I remembered that. No, no, no. You, I you thought. I, no, no, no. I remembered from the first chapter because uh, I remembered. I remembered James Cavendish saying that you know, oh, this scoundrel who has turned up was like oh i'm a cousin of evie she didn't look that happy to see him he ended up getting his feet under the table and then marrying emily so maybe this was a long con all the way back from evelyn right the way when he first turned up and there is a distinct resemblance between them especially in their gait and bearing it was simplicity itself hmm? they are a clever pair I'm now really hoping they're not romantically entangled. <laughs> okay, a little fun incestuous twist to finish. Oh, yes, no. Oh, no. And again, second cousins and what have you always got married in those times, didn't they? Well, yeah. first always. cousins are legally allowed. Yeah, for sure. They're allowed, but whether it's right or not is another... I think uh, Mary and Matthew <laughs> Crawley from Downton were second cousins, were they? Probably. Second cousins is different. But it's not. I'm not saying it's any better, but it's still different than first covered cousins. It's like that's that's so a little bit too close. About, you think about then that means that that person's might then that person's as soon as you start doing that, you share yeah. grandparents. It's weird. But our parent, our parents were siblings. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. Uh, and our grandparents are the same people. No, strange. Oh. I'm still a little fogged as to how exactly the bromide business was done, I remarked. Bon, I will reconstruct for you as far as possible. Hmm? I am inclined to think that Miss Howard was the mastermind in that affair. You remember her once mentioning that her father was a doctor? Hmm? Possibly she dispensed his medicines for him, or she may have taken the idea from one of the many books lying about when Mademoiselle Cynthia was studying for her exam. Anyway, she was familiar with the fact that the addition of a bromide to a mixture containing strychnine would cause the precipitation of the latter. Hmm? Probably the idea came to her quite suddenly. Mrs. Inglethorpe had a box of bromide powders, which she occasionally took at night. What could be easier than quietly to dissolve one or more of those powders in Mrs. Inglethorpe's large-sized bottle of medicine when it came from Kutz? Hmm? The risk is practically nil. The tragedy will not take place until nearly a fortnight later. If anyone has seen either of them touching the medicine, they will have forgotten it by that time. Miss Howard will have engineered her quarrel and departed from the house. The lapse of time and her absence will defeat all suspicion. Yes, it was a clever idea. Huh? If they had left it alone, it is possible the crime might never have been brought home to them. But they were not satisfied. They tried to be too clever. And that was their undoing. So this is quite. So basically, she put in the bromide powders like way back when mm. the bottle was first bought. Make it settle. And yeah. so what? They're just literally sitting there watching it, going, "Okay, another week. Yeah. Okay, I reckon a couple more couple. days." And then they're like, "Right, okay, it's tonight. It's tonight. She's at the end. It's happening. <laughs> it's happening. Get out of the house, quick. Go, 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 yeah. go, go." <laughs> Start an argument. It's like an advent <laughs> calendar of medicine. Yeah, it's almost just like marking the bottle, the the back of the bottle, kind of like to see yeah. how long she's got left. If it was today, Evie and Alfred would have a WhatsApp between the two of them, and they'd send, they'd go in and take a picture of the bottle every day, and be like, "Yes." <laughs> to be fair, it would probably be a snapshot, so that it would disappear as soon as it was yes. sent. That's what it yes. would be. Poirot puffed at his tiny cigarette, his eyes fixed on the ceiling. They arranged a plan to throw suspicion on John Cavendish by buying strychnine at the village chemist's and signing the register in his handwriting. Hmm? On Monday, Mrs. Inglethorpe will take the last dose of her medicine. On Monday, therefore, at six o'clock, 
Alfred Inglethorpe arranges to be seen by a number of people at a spot far removed from the village. Miss Howard has previously made up a cock-and-bull story about him and Mrs. Rakes to account for his holding his tongue afterwards. At six o'clock, Miss Howard, disguised as Alfred Inglethorpe, enters the chemist's shop with her story about a dog, obtains the strychnine, and writes the name of Alfred Inglethorpe in John's handwriting, which she had previously studied carefully. But, as it will never do if John too can prove an alibi, she writes him an anonymous note, still copying his handwriting, which takes him to a remote spot where it is exceedingly unlikely that anyone will see him. So far, all goes well. Miss Howard goes back to Middlingham, Alfred Inglethorpe returns to Styles. There is nothing that can compromise him in any way, since it is Miss Howard who has the strychnine, which, after all, is only wanted as a blind to throw suspicion on John Cavendish. But now a hitch occurs. Hmm? Mrs. Inglethorpe does not take her medicine that night. The broken bell, Cynthia's absence, arranged by Inglethorpe through his wife, all these are wasted, and then he makes his slip. Mrs. Inglethorpe is out, and he sits down to write to his accomplice, who, he fears, may be in a panic at the non-success of their plan. It is probable that Mrs. Inglethorpe returned earlier than expected. Caught in the act and somewhat flurried, he hastily shuts and locks his desk. He fears that if he remains in the room, he may have to open it again, and that Mrs. Inglethorpe might catch sight of the letter before he could snatch it up. Hmm? So he goes out and walks in the woods, little dreaming that Mrs. Inglethorpe will open his desk and discover the incriminating document. But this, as we know, is what happened. Mrs. Inglethorpe reads it and becomes aware of the perfidy of her husband and Evelyn Howard. Though, unfortunately, the sentence about the bromides conveys no warning to her mind. She knows that she is in danger, but is ignorant of where the danger lies. She decides to say nothing to her husband, but sits down and writes to her solicitor, asking him to come on the morrow and she also determines to destroy immediately the will which she has just made. She keeps the fatal letter. It was to discover that letter, then, that her husband forced the lock of the dispatch case. Yes, and from the enormous risk he ran, we can see how fully he realized its importance. Hmm? That letter accepted. There was absolutely nothing to connect him with the crime. There's only one thing I can't make out. Why didn't he destroy it at once when he got hold of it? Because he did not dare take the biggest risk of all, that of keeping it on his own person. I don't understand. Look at it from his point of view. Hmm? I have discovered that there were only five short minutes in which he could have taken it. The five minutes immediately before our own arrival on the scene for before that time, Annie was brushing the stairs and would have seen anyone who passed going to the right wing. Hmm? Figure to yourself the scene. He enters the room, unlocking the door by means of one of the other door keys. They are all much alike. Here is to the dispatch case. It is locked and the keys are nowhere to be seen. That is a terrible blow to him for it means that his presence in the room cannot be concealed as he had hoped. But he sees clearly that everything must be risked for the sake of that damning piece of evidence. Huh? Quickly, he forces the lock with a penknife and turns over the papers until he finds what he is looking for. But now a fresh dilemma arises. He dare not keep that piece of paper on him. He may be seen leaving the room. He may be searched. If the paper is found on him, it is certain doom. Huh? Probably, at this minute too, he hears the sound below of Mr. Wells and John leaving the boudoir. He must act quickly, 
Where can he hide this terrible slip of paper? The contents of the waste paper basket are kept and in any case are sure to be examined. Huh? There are no means of destroying it and he dare not keep it. He looks round and he sees... What do you think, mon ami? I shook my head. In a moment, he has torn the letter into long, thin strips and, rolling them up into spills, he thrusts them hurriedly in amongst the other spills in the vase on the mantelpiece. I uttered an exclamation. No one would think of looking there, Poirot continued, and he will be able at his leisure to come back and destroy this solitary piece of evidence against him. Then, all the time, it was in the spill vase in Mrs. Inglethorpe's bedroom, under our very noses, I cried. Poirot nodded. Yes, my friend, that is where I discovered my last link, and I owe that very fortunate discovery to you. To me? Yes. Do you remember telling me that my hand shook as I was straightening the ornaments on the mantelpiece, hmm? Yes, but I, I don't see... No. But I saw. Do you know, my friend, I remembered that earlier in the morning, when we had been there together, I had straightened all the objects on the mantelpiece. And if they were already straightened, there would be no need to straighten them again, unless, in the meantime, someone else had touched them. Dear me, I murmured. So that is the explanation of your extraordinary behaviour. You rushed down to Styles and found it still there? Yes, it was a race for time. But I still can't understand why Inglethorpe was such a fool as to leave it there when he had plenty of opportunity to destroy it. Ah, but he had no opportunity. I saw to that. You? Yes. Do you remember reproving me for taking the household into my confidence? On the subject? Yes. Well, my friend, I saw there was just one chance. I was not sure then if Inglethorpe was the criminal or not. But if he was, I reasoned that he would not have the paper on him, but would have hidden it somewhere. And by enlisting the sympathy of the household, I could effectually prevent his destroying it. He was already under suspicion, and by making the matter public... I secured the services of about ten amateur detectives who would be watching him unceasingly and being himself aware of their watchfulness, he would not dare seek further to destroy the document. Huh? He was therefore forced to depart from the house, leaving it in the spill vase. But surely Miss Howard had ample opportunities of aiding him. Yes, but Miss Howard did not know of the paper's existence. In accordance with their prearranged plan, she never spoke to Alfred Englethorpe. They were supposed to be deadly enemies, and until John Cavendish was safely convicted, they neither of them dared risk a meeting. Of course, I had a watch kept on Mr. Englethorpe, hoping that sooner or later he would lead me to the hiding place. Huh? but he was too clever to take any chances. The paper was safe where it was. Since no one had thought of looking there in the first week, it was not likely they would do so afterwards. But for your lucky remark, we might never have been able to bring him to justice. I understand that now. But when did you first begin to suspect Miss Howard? When I discovered that she had told a lie at the inquest about the letter she had received from Mrs. Inglethorpe. Why? What was there to lie about? You saw the letter. Do you recall its general appearance? Uh, yes, more or less. You will recollect, then, that Mrs. Inglethorpe wrote a very distinctive hand and left large, clear spaces between her words. But if you look at the date at the top of the letter, you will notice that July 17th, is quite different in this respect. Do you see what I mean? No, I confessed. I don't. You do not see that the letter was not written on the 17th, but on the 7th, the day after Miss Howard's departure. The one 
was written in before the seven to turn it into the 17th. But why? That is exactly what I asked myself. Why does Miss Howard suppress the letter written on the 17th and produce this faked one instead? Because she did not wish to show the letter of the 17th. Why again? Huh? And at once, a suspicion dawned in my mind. You will remember my saying that it was wise to beware of people who are not telling the truth. And yet, I cried indignantly, after that, you gave me two reasons why Miss Howard could not have committed the crime. And very good reasons, too, replied Poirot. For a long time, they were a stumbling block to me until I remembered a very significant fact, that she and Alfred Englethorpe were cousins. She could not have committed the crime single-handed, but the reasons against that did not debar her from being an accomplice. And then there was that rather over-vehement hatred of hers. It concealed a very opposite emotion. There was undoubtedly a tie of passion between them long before he came to Styles. They had already arranged their infamous plot that he should marry this rich but rather foolish old lady, induce her to make a will, leaving her money to him, and then gain their ends by a very cleverly conceived crime. Huh? If all had gone as they planned, they would probably have left England and lived together on their poor victim's money. They are a very astute and unscrupulous pair. While suspicion was to be directed against him, she would be making quiet preparations for a very different denouement. She arrives from Middlingham with all the compromising items in her possession. No suspicion attaches to her. No notice is paid to her coming and going in the house. She hides the strychnine and glasses in John's room. She puts the beard in the attic. She will see to it that sooner or later they are duly discovered. I don't quite see why they tried to fix the blame on John, I remarked. It would have been much easier for them to bring the crime home to Lawrence. Yes, but that was a mere chance. All the evidence against him arose out of pure accident. It must, in fact, have been distinctly annoying to the pair of schemers. His manner was unfortunate, I observed thoughtfully. <laughs> yes, you realise, of course... What was at the back of that? No. You did not understand that he believed Mademoiselle Cynthia guilty of the crime. No, I exclaimed, astonished. <gasps> Impossible. Not at all. I myself nearly had the same idea. It was in my mind when I asked Mr. Wells that first question about the will. Then there was the bromide powders which she had made up and her clever male impersonations as Dorcas had recounted them to us. There was really more evidence against her than anyone else. You are joking, Poirot. No. Shall I tell you what made Monsieur Lawrence turn so pale when he first entered his mother's room on the fateful night? Huh? It was because whilst his mother lay there, Obviously poisoned, he saw over her shoulder that the door into Mademoiselle Cynthia's room was unbolted. But he declared that he saw it bolted, I cried. Exactly, said Poirot dryly. And that was just what confirmed my suspicion that it was not. He was shielding Mademoiselle Cynthia. But why should he shield her? Because he is in love with her. <laughs> I love how Poirot is just like Hastings has spent how long with all these people and Poirot is literally like well yeah it's because he's in love with her what? <laughs> he's like yeah he's Hastings is, like that. He's wait what it's like yeah. Hastings have you actually been paying any attention to these people and the way that he they've can't been behaving pick up a vibe, like the, can he? no exactly it's like you've been living with them for like two months and you've got no idea what is I mean, going he's on obviously not very good at picking up body language he no. proposed to Cynthia so yes. come on I know 
I know. What is getting clearer and clearer as Poirot explains, though, is, as he said right in the first bit, if they had just killed her, added the bromide powders, walked away and killed her, no one would, would even really have known. Because they, were, yeah. they were so close. They would have gotten away with it. They would have gotten away with it because it would have been like an chemistry. accident. Yeah. yeah. They'd have gone like, oh, God, it's such a shame. And oh, no, someone, mis- someone mixed her medicine up wrong by accident. Someone stirred the bottom too much, yeah. not realising someone had added something to get uh, the strychnine to precipitate. But yes, but yeah. trying to trying to cover their tracks as they're undoing, which is also quite clever because that means the science is just the science they've come up with is pure. It's the human element. It's which yeah, start to doubt. Yeah, sure. It's interesting because I do feel like sometimes a lot of killers are brought down by their own hubris and their own thinking. They're so clever, and that's mm. almost what makes a lot of killers confess at the end because they want the credit for the crime because they yeah. basically go, "I got away with this." And this I is, am do you want to know how I did it? Do you want to know how I did it? Do you want to know how I did it? I'll like it eats tell them. You. Yeah, so it's almost like they end up making almost silly mistakes because they almost want to be caught because they want the credit for their crime. Proud of themselves, yeah. Mm. I do find it interesting that with the whole strips of thing, that like, so basically what Poro was saying, that he had straightened everything on the mantelpiece and then realised that someone had moved something. And so that's why he knew that something had been tampered with in the room. Yeah. But uh, we still haven't found out why he said, I need to find a garage. No, we haven't found that out yet. We still need to work that out. Is that so he out. could get a car to drive back as soon as possible? Maybe, but I, yeah, maybe. Or maybe, th- you knowing him, this could be related to some completely other piece of evidence in this. Well, he's this coming up with thing. all sorts of stuff. But like, well, I didn't even, this wasn't even a thing. No. Like in many cases. Yeah. but and, and, and all about it, pretty much every character as having some sort of, spin-off part to play in it which is quite interesting mm. yeah you go be- back and read you go back and read it again which i guess is you'd read it again with knowledge and it would be quite interesting to go oh i'm bit. seeing i'm i'm being a little bit of subtext in what cynthia yeah. is saying <laughs> now yeah, that yeah. i know the facts mm. um it's like oh yeah of course that's that's why yeah oh there's a little bit of tension there whereas yeah. before it's like oh she's just she's just being a bit you know yeah. whatever so so I wonder, did did Lawrence check out the strychnine because he thought Cynthia did it then? Is that why he was looking in the cabinet at what poison she had? Yeah. And whether it had been and how much was left and how much had been used. Maybe that's the reason why he was looking at the strychnine. So was he like, oh, my goodness, I love her, but uh, she might have so, killed my stepmom. Yeah. And how, what am I going to do then? What a predicament. Mm. But it seems like Poirot's just also said as well that Evelyn and Alfred had this plan way back. She's obviously gotten a job at Styles and gone, oh, Alfred, there's this really rich, kind of naive woman. You should come and marry her and then we'll kill her and we'll get her money. It's like a very cynical plan, isn't it? Mm. Right from the off. Yeah. I've noticed that quite a few of Agatha Christie's books involve old rich women getting like duped by younger men who get them to leave them their hands because witness for the prosecution is the exact same uh, scenario where there's an older rich lady and a younger guy who dotes on her in order to try and get her to leave all of her wealth to him in her will. It's all about that so, sweet, sweet inheritance. Yeah. So she seems to enjoy writing about this kind of cougar toy boy relationship. <laughs> Maybe it's a fantasy of hers. <laughs> <laughs> Take Maybe advantage she left of all me. of her wealth to Jose, the poor boy, <laughs> like after she died. <laughs> that would be a great fact to unearth, wouldn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I laughed. <laughs> there, Poirot, you are quite wrong. I happen to know for a fact that far from being in love with her, he positively dislikes her. Who told you that, mon ami? Huh? Cynthia herself. La pauvre petite. And she was concerned. She said that she did not mind at all. And she certainly did mind very much, remarked Poirot. They are like that, les femmes. (laughs) All of them. Generalization. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) What you say about Lawrence is a great surprise to me, I said. But why? It was most obvious. Did not Monsieur Lawrence make the sour face every time Mademoiselle Cynthia spoke and laughed with his brother? He had taken it into his long head 
that Mademoiselle Cynthia was in love with Monsieur John. When he entered his mother's room and saw her obviously poisoned, he jumped to the conclusion that Mademoiselle Cynthia knew something about the matter. Huh. He was nearly driven desperate. First, he crushed the coffee cup to powder under his feet, remembering that she had gone up with his mother the night before, and he determined that there should be no chance of testing its contents. Ah, so he tampered with the evidence. Was Lawrence... Because he wondered why there was a... Yeah, we wondered. And then maybe maybe that's why Poirot said to him about finding the missing coffee cup as well. Yeah. Because it's interesting that of all the people he picked to find this coffee cup, it's the person who crushed one of them. Yeah. And so maybe that's how he enlisted Lawrence's help, because he's maybe going like, I'm understanding that that coffee cup you crushed isn't actually the one that delivered the problem. And really, by by enlisting him with that riddle, he was also saying, I know. Yeah. You know, and so then Lawrence was like, ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thenceforward, he strenuously and quite uselessly upheld the theory of death from natural causes. And what about the extra coffee cup? I was fairly certain that it was Mrs. Cavendish who had eaten it, but I had to make sure. Monsieur Lawrence did not know at all what I meant, but on reflection he came to the conclusion that if he could find an extra coffee cup anywhere, his lady love would be cleared of suspicion. And he was perfectly right. There you go. One thing more. What did Mrs. Inglethorpe mean by her dying words? They were, of course, an accusation against her husband. Dear me, Poirot, I said with a sigh. I think you've explained everything. I'm glad it's all ended so happily. Even John and his wife are reconciled. Happily? There's a woman dead. There's a woman dead, Hastings. Yeah. (laughs) Whatever happened. their (laughs) mum. All well that ends well, isn't it? I got a job. Fancy a brandy. (laughs) Says the person whose life has not changed one bit by this case. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. You've just written, if anything, you've just just been like a vampire in this family. I like yeah, to exactly. happened while the you were leech. there. He's a leech. I'm surprised he, he was leech. never. A, I'm surprised he was never a suspect. He like turns up to right. stay, and suddenly someone's he's, dead. Everyone's yeah. like, "Nah, he's too. He's thick. He's too short. Blanks. He's not going to be true. He, can you imagine him trying to do the same thing? Like, I don't know what. <laughs> what, 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 what would Hastings do for the murder? Like, say, say he had the same like incentive. He was like, "Oh, if I do He'd this, probably then, accidentally like, drink the strychnine himself." <laughs> 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 He'd be like, "Right, I put it in one of these cups." Oh, which one? Oh, uh, I know. I think it's that one. (laughs) (laughs) I better taste them. Oh, down I go. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, shucks. (laughs) (laughs) I do find it quite terrifying, though, that Emily knew that her husband was trying to kill her and was trying to make out, like, pretend, like... Mm -hmm. You would get out the house, surely. If you knew, if you found a letter basically saying from your husband or from your partner saying, yeah, once I've killed them, we can be together. I would immediately pack up a bag and leave the house straight away. There is no way I'm sleeping under this roof. Well, but maybe she's like, well, what about my boys? Like, if he's capable of that, what if he comes after that? Like, I don't know. Her yeah, but head, you would might... know. You would know that the only thing he's after is in the inheritance. And as long as she's alive, he can't get it. So it would make no sense him going after John or Lawrence because he would not acquire any of the money that way. Yeah. No, but, okay, here's the thought. I don't know if this would have got crossed into her mind. If she would have left, Alfred would have gone, she knows, she's found my letter, whatever. Then if he, if he knows that she's done that, he knows that she would immediately have changed the will to the boys. And then she might have thought, he'll go after the boys instead or something. Well, I mean, technically she already changed the wheel to the boys because she destroyed the one leaving everything to him. Yeah, exactly. But she only did that after she found out that he was going to kill her. I don't know. I'm I'm too in my head. I just feel like I would have just left with the letter and gone straight to the place. I would have been like, yeah, it looks like my husband's trying to kill me. Yeah. That would have been a sensible thing to do. Mm -hmm. No, but I'm going to stay here and be dramatic. So yeah, I'm going to stay here and then basically like just be like. (gasps) She wanted to save. (laughs) She wanted to save face, didn't she? (laughs) 
Checking behind every Tudor curtain. chop. <laughs> <laughs> every shadow that kind of comes in. I bet Dorcas got hit in the face a few times. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sorry, Dorcas. I'm just really... Sorry, Dorcas. I like the idea that she... I put it much on it. <laughs> I like the idea that... Um, like she turns around and Dorcas is there and she just like punches her and Dorcas <laughs> apologizes. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Mr. Sorry. So, 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 sorry, my face. And then the she way. does it a second time. It's like, oh, I'm sorry. Like, <laughs> oh, this dear. is what we should do. After this, we should just improvise scenes we would have liked to have seen. <laughs> oh, mm. yes. Definitely. Fun. Even John and his wife are reconciled. Thanks to me. How do you mean, thanks to you? My dear friend, do you not realize that it was simply and solely the trial which has brought them together again? Hmm? That John Cavendish still loved his wife, I was convinced. Also, that she was equally in love with him. But they had drifted very far apart. It all arose from a misunderstanding. She married him without love, he knew it. He was a sensitive man in his way. He would not force himself upon her if she did not want him. And as he withdrew, her love awoke. But they are both unusually proud, and their pride held them inexorably apart. He drifted into an entanglement with Mrs. Rakes, and she deliberately cultivated a friendship with Dr. Bowerstein. Do you remember the day of John Cavendish's arrest, when you found me deliberating over a big decision? Yes, I quite understood your distress. Pardon me, mon ami, but you did not understand it in the least. I was trying to decide whether or not I would clear John Cavendish at once. I could have cleared him, though it might have meant a failure to convict the real criminals. They were entirely in the dark as to my real attitude up to the very last moment, which partly accounts for my success. Do you mean that you could have saved John Cavendish from being brought to trial? Yes, my friend. But eventually, I decided in favour of a woman's happiness. Nothing but the great danger through which they have passed could have brought these two proud souls together again. Hmm? I looked at Poirot in silent amazement. The colossal cheek of the little man... Who on earth but Poirot would have thought of a trial for murder as a restorer of conjugal <laughs> happiness? <laughs> well, it's one of those things, here. though, isn't it? It's like, you know, you don't know what you have until it's gone. That's it. And and away exactly. And, and, as, and as they said, you know, she's very proud. She's very jealous. But when, when the moment came, the game stopped. Because it actually went, oh, actually, no, this man that I actually really care for and love might end up getting hanged. And I need to do everything I can to help him. And suddenly all the pettiness, all of the silly games and the messing around and the trying to make him jealous and trying to da-da-da on both both sides, it melted away. And so it's kind of quite obvious to see why that Uh, would work. It's quite nice, really. I perceive your thoughts, mon ami, said Poirot, smiling at me. No one but Hercule Poirot would have attempted such a thing. And you are wrong in condemning it. The happiness of one man and one woman is the greatest thing in all the world. His words took me back to earlier events. I remembered Mary as she lay white and exhausted on the sofa, listening, listening. There had come the sound of the bell below. She had started up. Poirot had opened the door, and meeting her agonised eyes, had nodded gently. Yes, madame, he said, I have brought him back to you. He had stood aside, and as I went out, I had seen the look in Mary's eyes, as John Cavendish had caught his wife in his arms. Perhaps you are right, Poirot, I said gently. Yes, it is the greatest thing in the world. Suddenly, there was a tap at the door, and Cynthia peeped in. I... I only... Come in, I said, springing up. She came in. (laughs) Come in, marry me! Uh, (laughs) Kneeling on the floor. (laughs) (laughs) 
if I if I if I ask her to marry me a hundred times, surely she's going to say once mm. a year. <laughs> surely, say- yeah. She came in but did not sit down. I, I only wanted to tell you something. Yes. Cynthia fidgeted with a little tassel for some moments, then suddenly exclaiming, "You dears!" kissed first me and then Poirot and rushed out of the room again. What on earth does this mean? I asked, surprised. It was very nice to be kissed by Cynthia, (laughs) but the publicity of the salute rather impaired the pleasure. It means that she has discovered Mr. Lawrence does not dislike her as much as she thought, replied Poirot philosophically. But here he is. Lawrence, at that moment, passed the door. Ah! Not ah. <laughs> eh! Monsieur Lawrence! <laughs> <laughs> oh! So close! Eh. It's, like, it's like watching yeah. a Wimbledon game. Ooh! <laughs> ah! Eh. How, many, how many vowels can Poirot eh. get into one thing without saying any words? Love 30! <laughs> <laughs> oh! <laughs> that could be a good voice. Eh, Mr. Lawrence, called Poirot. We must congratulate you, is it not so, huh? Lawrence blushed and then smiled awkwardly. A man in love is a sorry spectacle. A sorry spectacle? Sorry, Hastings, you're a sorry spectacle. (laughs) You're not in a position to judge, are you really, No, you're really not. (laughs) Some guy walking in slightly blushed because he's happy. That's yeah. not a sorry spectacle. That's actually a very nice spectacle. <laughs> a sorry spectacle I love- is a man taking advantage of a crying woman. That's a sorry spectacle. It's also funny, like, she comes in and just, like, kisses them out of just, like, pure pleasure. It's like, oh, it would have been really lovely, but because she did it to him, it can't have been me being no. special. Uh. Well, also, she was like, I didn't like the fact it was public. She basically wanted it. He wanted it done in private. What a sneaky behind, beh- mm. behind a door, behind a curtain. And, like, like. Well, I don't know. Do better, Hastings. Do better. Bad. Now Cynthia had looked charming. I sighed. What is it, mon ami? Uh, Nothing, I said sadly. They are two delightful women. (laughs) He's so bitter. (laughs) He didn't get any of the girls. (laughs) Basically, anyone around my age will do, especially if they're the persons who is hosting me, you know, wives or people they might be seeing you know mate i think he's one of these guys who loves what he can't have as well i think that's kind of part of it as well and neither of them is for you (laughs) rubbing the salt in the wound (laughs) twist the knife twist the knife twist the knife (laughs) oh none of them for you (laughs) Uh, that's like you're all for me hastings Oh, we went super camp there, Matt. That Let's go and ruin the flower bed. <laughs> Sorry, you may have to plant the begonias again. It's it's the good. last tiny chunk of the last chapter, it just turns into uh, gay erotic. Yes. Poirot <laughs> Pro- yeah. and Hastings end up together. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Plot twist. <laughs> Never mind, huh? Console yourself, my friend. We may hunt together again. Who knows? And then... The end. <laughs> end of book. Oh, I really enjoyed our first Who Has Done This. I think it yeah, worked it was really well. Yeah, I found it really enjoyable. Fun. The twists and the turns. You can't not concentrate because you feel like duty bound to. And also, I think there's a, there's a competitive element to it. Like, because there's a certain satisfaction. You know, when you watch like TV shows, you want to be the person who's like, I've got it. I've worked yeah, it out. Yeah, I worked it out. Sus- yeah. Oh, no, I was right. I was right. And yeah. it's like, there's a certain satisfaction to that. And it's the same with this. Whereas when it's like an adventure or like animal farm and allegory, I don't necessarily think there's like the. You just wait. You just waiting to see what unfolds and looking into what what yeah. it's about. Well, I think yeah. the animal um, farm. You were just waiting for the next horrific event. Yeah, Pinocchio. Is that right? Who dies next? <laughs> all of the all of the children's books were like, okay, I'm just living in the moment a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Um, and this was literally like, oh, ooh, ooh, what's that? Mm. And yeah. like lingering and looking at false leads. As it turns out, I think most of the things that were me- that were 
ah, still didn't really talk about the garage. So they, no, they, they didn't mention the garage at all, which is a bit annoying. I, I think was, yeah, it I must be that he had to get there quickly. Yeah, he must have just been yeah. looking for a car. He'd never heard because, of trains. Because I just assumed, because of the whole, that was the moment when he was like, <gasps> the final thing. I just yeah. assumed that the letter was in the car. And then I was like, yeah. oh, he found it in the car. I'm still, I'm still at like, what, what was the clue that Hastings gave? Did he like remember? I, I'm trying to. Like, it was oh, the location. It was the location. Is because he was saying you were shaking by the mantelpiece, and he went, ah, the mantelpiece. I straightened all that stuff on the mantelpiece, and something had been I'm moved. I'm trying to imagine why. He and was then shaking. he went to the vase because he was so angry at himself for having left the dispatch box in the room, not thinking yeah. that the killer would risk coming in. And it was in that five minutes that he went back and did the thing. Yeah. So that it was it was the location of remembering where he was that kind of sparked the thing of, oh yeah, we didn't check in that vase. Maybe there might be something in there. Yeah. It is kind of quite clever, I think, actually, of Agatha to have had the husband do it because so many times with murders, particularly in like true crime podcasts and other things like that. You want it to be some wild, fantastical, crazy, mastermind, Hannibal Lecter story. And so often in murder, it is just the spouse or a family member or somebody like that. It is never anything that fantastical about it normally. And so this does actually then in keep with real life more and it kind of makes it feel more real because as you said you know alfred was basically like well i'm the husband so if my wife dies chances are they're gonna suspect me mm. and with good reason because normally yeah. it is the husband or That's the it, boyfriend yeah. so it was kind of quite clever for agatha to, to play on that do you know what i mean and to kind of leave these false breadcrumbs and kind of make it like oh actually it turns out it was the person you suspected all along but kind of not in the way that you thought it was going to be yeah it was interesting that while none of us got the murderer we all suspected that there were going to be two people did you notice that yeah. we all suspected there was going to be an accomplice yeah, but we all got the person wrong, <laughs> and none of ours was an accomplice because I was like, "Oh, I think no. it'd be Mary." Because at the moment, I was like, "No, I still think it'll be Mary Cavendish," but I think she'll have been a part. And actually, she, the weird thing is, she was a part of it, but completely unrelated. She was trying to do something. Yeah, different. by accident, she was a part of yeah. it. Yeah, um, but I think you probably thought like Mary Cavendish in conjunction with Doctor Bowerstein, probably like mo- the most likely double team seemed was to be likely, yeah, yeah. I was kind of thinking maybe Lawrence with. Cynthia because his fingerprint was on the vial and blah 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 like I was kind of maybe thinking maybe they could have been a team or something um, more from the center he has the motive to pin it on his brother and get his mum out of the picture because then he'd inherit and she has the means to help him because she has the strychnine like I, I thought that that was the double team that was going to happen and it turns out that they're, they're wanting to get together and I just thought it was going to be nibs 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 in the chemistry <laughs> <laughs> Nibs and Cynthia sitting there going, I need something to make me feel alive. Let's go and kill someone. <laughs> it would have been a special little throwback to Peter Pan. I just want yeah. a little Nibs, Nibs, Nibs action. I think we'll have to do another who has done this mm. at some point as well, or some kind of crime yeah. novel. This time next year. It feels, it feels quite yeah. summery as well. I just like, I was imagining like, it was always like blue, sunny, sunny skies. And it was like a really yeah. nice village. Those long, hot um, summers at the estate. But yeah, I think it was yeah. the very tweeness of it and the fact that we're having tea on the lawn. It definitely made yeah. it feel very British summertime, didn't it? it did. Yeah. Strawberries and cream. Mm. It was a, it was an antidote. Even though it was gruesome and there was murder, it was still like a nice novel compared to Animal yeah. Farm. It's cold. Yeah, and, for sure. Uh, and yeah, and all of that. But if, this is like a... And we do it. We appreciate cleverness well, don't we? Yeah. We love we love something that's been well thought out, and you can't deny that's been well thought out. Mm. So. Oh no, I can definitely see having read that novel why she then went on to write more Poirot. She obviously finished this and went, "I'm onto something here." He's a good this one, guy. Yeah. This guy ha- has something that makes him intriguing, makes him charismatic, makes him dramatic. Jeremy, you know I mean? she and likes he, to play on that kind of thing with him, and he doesn't. Yeah. Ha- and he doesn't have to be addicted to heroin like Sherlock. No, exactly. No. It must be interesting to see how she develops him and just decides to introduce different characteristics. I must yeah. admit, I've got no, like, I know some Miss Marple, I think. 
But I don't really know Poirot. I never was like that bothered about watching the TV yeah. show. I'd be interested to see how, like, because this must be the most t- two-dimensional that Poirot is. And he's already a really yeah. interesting character. You imagine, what's he like? He's con- he's got his, his complete energy. He's bustling. He, he's a talker. He's so, you know, he thinks through everything and he sort of he's talks out loud. Yeah. yeah. So it must he's be very what's, manipulative. What, what, That's what's made him? him so interesting to me. He's so manipulative. Flaws. He wasn't he afraid got, like, to interject and 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 move mm. a few chess pieces, was he? No, but this is what I mean, and that that's actually what I made it made me feel like he was so clever, just the way he just played everybody like pieces on a chessboard, yeah, and yeah. like immediately walked into a situation and was like, "I think it's you, and I'm going to prove it." You're in love with her. You doing this, da da da, and like literally, like just immediately knew exactly where everybody was. And Hastings, who's lived there for two months, had no idea what was going on. But I think if we read another, say we were to ever read another Poirot, or I was ever to read another Poirot, I think I I would now scrutinize his his every action so much more because mm. you just I may like, well oh, read the next. What is the next one in the series? Actually, not not we're not saying we're doing it, but what is the next? Oh, I don't one know. One? The next Poirot book is the Murder on the Links. It was published Golf. in nineteen twenty three. What's very interesting is is that on the Google questions, one of them is, "Should you read Hercule Poirot in order?" And the answer is. There is no need to read Poirot books in any particular order. <laughs> so there's obviously no overarching kind of like storyline with Poirot. He is so by Hastings. Individual. Yeah, which is a shame. I was hoping there would be some kind of arc for him, like some kind of development for him over the books as well. But alas, this is kind of the way it is. We'll hunt That's again it. until Agatha Christie thinks, actually, no, I'd, Hastings was a wet lettuce. Let me have her. Yeah, it would be interesting to see if Hastings is the narrator for all of the books and also just how unreliable the narrator is in future books as well because I feel like that was one of the things that contributed to the mystery, the fact that you had an unreliable narrator. He didn't know what was going on and didn't have all the answers. Mm. Yeah. It definitely added to the the fact that you almost couldn't really work this out yourself. If you've really enjoyed this book, then you can let us know at thelazybookclub at gmail.com. Only positive reviews. We don't accept negative ones. <laughs> <laughs> we passed them asunder like false clues. And yeah, if you've got any other thoughts or feelings about anything you've just heard and you want to divulge them in no more than 240 characters, you can do so on Twitter and our handle is at lazybookclubpod. That's it. We love seeing any imagery, anything that you want to chuck into a Google image search and then throw on your Instagram. I mean, Please I would love to see up. some fan art of Evelyn Howard in the beard. If just, yes. just putting it out there. Oh, I would love to see drag king. Amazing. Drag yes, king Evelyn Howard. Drag queen Inglethorpe. Amazing. What a great cabaret act that would be. Yeah. Well, they are doing um in the West as at time of recording, they are doing Death Drop in the West End. Yes, they are. A Dragatha Christie novel. Um, yes, it is. Some of them are from RuPaul's Drag Race. Yeah. Uh, I've heard I, it's I, very funny. I feel like I should go and see that now, especially. Maybe we should like, do a Lazy Book Club boy yeah, night yeah. out <laughs> to yeah. the Hippodrome. <laughs> <laughs> let's 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 we're also on Patreon for the very low fee of $3 a month. You get an extra episode every month and access to the videos of extra. our recordings as well. The last thing to say is that our next episode will be our epilogue episode where Yay! we will be quizzed Ooh. by Noah from the Gaming Arc. For those of you who are new listeners, every book we finish, we do a little quiz to finish. And also Noah brings some facts about the book as well that we haven't been astute or bothered bothered to look up ourselves so if you want to learn a little bit more about Agatha Christie and also find out who the best detective is out of me Josh and David then tune in next week for the epilogue episode we'll also be announcing our next book which we haven't actually picked yet we'll be discussing that one (laughs) so we need to to we need to pick one of those boys
And of yes. course, the best thing about the epilogue episode, for me anyway, is that I get to have a bowl of snacks and a large beer because I don't have to do lots of reading. Don't. Oh, you can have don't. chocolate. Uh, what are the worst chocolate. things? Chocolate. I'll have yeah. milk. Yeah, I'll have three lattes. <laughs> yeah. I'll have some acid. Of, yeah, <laughs> not, sure. not, not the drug. I mean, just like. Uh, maybe, it's <laughs> some, maybe some of that as well. Uh, like spirit. Like, yeah. <laughs> You'll have a Evelyn bottle of, at the end of the night. I'll have Brilliant. a bottle of Baileys and a can of yes. squirt cream. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> well, if you want to see the video of Josh eating all of that, then sign up for our Patreon because <laughs> then you'll get to see that. That'll be $3 well spent. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, we will see you next time for the epilogue. I hope you've enjoyed this book as much as we have enjoyed reading it, and we will see you next time. Bye. Woo-hoo. Bonjour. Bye. <laughs> Bonjour. <laughs> apparently. Apparently. <laughs> <laughs>